this episode of Common Mystics, we go back to the Civil War era to tell the surprising story of Laura Jackson Arnold, a Southern woman who remained a staunch Unionist despite the disparate views of her community, her husband, and her legendary brother. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And this week, we bring you another voice from the road in West Virginia. Listeners, listeners, thank you for tuning in. I just have to say that Jennifer and I are really (laughs) excited to bring you this story. And we are very (laughs) passionate about how we feel about the story. We are. So let's get right into it. Jill, would you remind our listeners how we find stories? Okay, so you know what we do. We drive around the country. We use our intuitive ability to find stories that are verifiable, that give voice to the voiceless, and that we are unaware of, right? Right. Then we go back and we do the research. And sometimes when we're doing the research, because the research itself is intuitive, we find extraordinary stories about people that we really like and Although it may not be our story at the time, it definitely is worth revisiting. And that's the case with Miss Laura Jackson Arnold, or Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Very well put. I took the lead on the West Union, West Virginia story in terms of the research. Mm-hmm. And it appeared that the hits were really leading us to Luke Jaco and Dr. Charter. And so we went with that story. But You had done some research about Laura Jackson Arnold, and we just couldn't shake her. After you shared her story with me, she just wouldn't go away. And as it turns out, some of those hits appear to be pointing us in her direction, too. Right. Another thing that we don't talk about in the Local Legends Dirty Deeds episode is that we started out in Parkersburg, right? We sure did. And again, we talk about it was being March 27th. We start out in Parkersburg and Jen and I go on this like wild goose chase finding our family name through the hills of West Virginia. And it takes us so far off the main road and down the highway that we were in a real rabbit hole in West Virginia. And we were frustrated at the time because we spent two hours (laughs) pretty much driving around for apparently no reason. Having arguments about women's voices, right? Right. That was some of the similar hits that you were picking up on was what you were seeing in your mind's eye. What were you saying? Oh, I was seeing a soldier. Mm-hmm. He did not appear to be in a Civil War type uniform, but he looked like he had been in some sort of war. And it was really confusing for me. Right. Because you were like you were feeling the Civil War era, but like, yes. like but it was like it didn't match up. You know a lot about the Civil War. Yeah, the the figure I was seeing, I wasn't certain that he was a soldier, but he had definitely been fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you took on the research, but we yeah. decided that Laura, Laura's our girl. So let's talk about our girl, Laura. Please do so. So the first thing, maybe the elephant in the room, if you will, is that she has a very, very famous brother. Does she now? She does. Thomas Stonewall Jackson is her big brother. How do I know him? Okay, he is, well, you should know him, and I bet many people will. He is one of the most famous commanders of the entire Civil War. He was a gifted commander, and his tactics are still being studied today. 
I was uh, watching a documentary. Apparently, it was a big thing to fight like Napoleon, like Napoleon-esque fighting. And apparently, I know, apparently Stonewall or Thomas really encapsulated what it meant to have like a Napoleon type of strategy on the battlefield. Interesting. Yeah. Do you know why they called him Stonewall? He fought for the Confederate Army. And at the Battle of Bull Run in 1861, he was faced with a terrible Union assault, but he held his ground and those around him compared him to a stone wall because he did not give in. He did not give up. He held his ground and and the name stuck. So they called him Stonewall Jackson. I I heard the same story. He was a legend in his own time, so much so that he never lost a battle. And if the Union Army knew that they were going to meet Stonewall that day, like in battle, they were it was already in their head. Right. They were like, oh, man. So. Right. So there's that. I, I think the point is you, when you mentioned that he was huge for the morale, just having him. Mm-hmm. And then when he died prematurely during the war in 1863, that was a huge blow, huge blow, not only to the army, but the entire Southern cause. And he's come to be known as a figure of the lost cause, quote unquote, of the South. True statement. We're getting ahead of ourselves because I want to talk about how he died because I just mentioned he did not lose a battle. So how did Stonewall die? Well, let's talk first about his lovely sister, Laura Jackson Arnold, because she had very different political views than her brother and almost everyone around her. She is a legend in her own right. She should be. Like, honestly, the fact that we do not know more about this woman is upsetting. So let's tell the story. Let's get to it. Let's go. Okay, so a lot of this information, Jill, you took from... From womenhistoryblog.com. I took a lot of this information not only from the womenshistoryblog.com, but from westvirginiaencyclopedia.org and, of course, the wiki page of the good people at Wiki of Stonewall Jackson. Oh, thank you very much for that clarification. She was born on March 27th, 1826 in Clarksburg, Virginia, now West Virginia. She was the youngest of four siblings. She had an older sister, Elizabeth, an older brother, Warren, her brother, Thomas, who would become Stonewall Jackson, and then she was the baby of the family. I like the babies. You would. So interestingly enough, her family was rather well-to-do, I would imagine. Her father was an attorney. His name was Jonathan Jackson, and her mother was Julia. Jonathan Jackson Law. Jonathan Jackson Law. Jonathan Jackson is a good name. It is a good name. I like the J's. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. But tragedy would soon strike the family, Jill. This is crazy. I know. On March 26th, 1826, the day before Laura Jackson would be born, her sister Elizabeth, who is six years old, and her father both died of typhoid. The day before she was born. Tragic. Like, Can you imagine her mother? No. Can you imagine? I was actually trying to like when I was when I did the research and I was like thinking about it. I was like, I am nine months pregnant. I'm probably in a cabin somewhere. It's you might be in labor. I you might already be in labor. God. Yeah. Worst case scenario. And your husband and your daughter die, and then the next morning you have you have the joy of giving birth to another daughter. It's I can't even fathom. The emotional roller coaster. I know. And Jonathan and his daughter, Laura, would never breathe the same air. Did you just like come up with that? Yes. I'm a poet. 
in my soul. <laughs> You're a weirdo in your soul. Okay. So she, their mother was widowed at age 28. And then, of course, the family is suddenly has extensive debts and is living in poverty. Yeah, because the moneymaker just passed away, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Julia did remarry in 1830, but her new husband, a Mr. Blake Woodson, disliked his stepchildren. He was really cruel to them. Oh, mm-hmm. do you know what he did? He was like, yeah, these kids got to go, man. Yeah, they just sent him away. Yeah. He's like, I know you know someone who would want them. So at the time, Thomas was six years old and Laura was four years old and their older brother, Warren, was nine. And Thomas and Laura were sent to live with their father's relatives, the Jacksons, at Jackson's Mill. And Warren, the older brother, was sent to live with his mother's relatives. So they were together the two of them, Thomas and Laura, and you would imagine that they had a close bond because through this traumatic experience, they at least they had each other. Mm-hmm. But then in 1835, nine-year-old Laura was separated from Thomas when she was sent to live with her uncle near Parkersburg. And Thomas was sent to live with his paternal grandmother. So they were separated. Throughout Laura's life, her young life, traveled around and was given to to person in the family, to person in the family to yeah. take care of because the mom married a man that didn't want them. Exactly. So she was shuffled and sometimes around. sometimes she and her brother Thomas were together and lived in the same home. And then other times they were separated and they lived apart. And so that kind of marked their early formative years. They were together. They were apart. They never seemed to live with Warren at all. Warren, I was just going to say, they, it seems like he was like the oldest. He had his own thing going on. I, I, I imagine that they didn't see him very much at all. I bet you're right. I That's bet you're right. Terrible. And he would actually die very young at the age of 20 of tuberculosis. That's a true statement. So that's super sad. So basically, they just have each other. Exactly. And then their mother would end up dying due to complications from childbirth in 1831. So Mm-mm. now, truly, they really just have each other. It's terrible. They don't have their mother. They They're don't have orphaned. any other siblings. They obviously don't have a father. Right. They're orphaned. Yeah. It's terrible to contemplate, but I imagine that that formed a really strong bond between them. Oh, absolutely. Thomas would grow up, and we've already talked about the fact that he was a soldier. He entered West Point in 1842. He graduated, and he was in the U.S. Army before the Civil War, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And Laura Jackson would end up getting married in 1844. To a wealthy old-ass dude. His name was Jonathan Arnold. 24 years her senior. Yep. She was also his third wife. That makes you wonder. Like, don't you think that would be a red flag? Well, I mean, I'm maybe sh- not in the day. In the 1800s, yeah. Yeah, people died left it and right It was like 2022. I'd be like, another bathtub accident? Well, that's bizarre. <laughs> No, but you're right. It it might not have been a a red flag back in 1844. I mean, hell, you can die from a a cavity. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Mm. That's true. uh, She gave him three lovely children. Oh, I'm sorry. Four. She gave one of them wasn't lovely. She had three lovely (laughs) and then an ugly ass. There was one ugly duckling that she had. Don't say that. She gave him four four children, all of them lovely. And they lived in the town of Beverly, West Virginia. 
you know what it was interesting about the town of Beverly was that it was a commercial commercial center of the county of Randolph County. There were two turnpikes and it became a major crossroads and this would become important when hostilities would arise over the whole civil war thing. So what's happening with Thomas and Laura before the Civil War? So the, she's married. She's she's having these babies, lovely or not. And he's off at West Point. Right. Well, no, they, they remained close before mm. the Civil War. He would visit Laura and Jonathan and Beverly. And he would, like, buy them things. He apparently bought him a new carpet. Yeah, for the upstairs, which is expensive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would love it if you bought me carpet. Oh, my God. Your carpet. You just redid your basement because it flooded. It was like a $10,000 carpet. By the way, let's pause to ask people to support our Patreon page. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do that at the end, you said. (laughs) I was kidding. (laughs) Speaking of money, we need it. And in 1859, Laura would also visit her brother Thomas's family as well. She left her oldest son with him in Lexington for tutoring. So she must have really trusted him and they must have had uh, a close bond right up until the uh, Civil War. Huh. War, you say? Yeah. (laughs) It's war, Scarlett. Tell me about the war and what how that impacted their relationship. First of all, we've talked about this before. When the Civil War hits, everybody has to decide what side they're going to support. And we seem to think of it. I mean, I'll talk for myself. I always thought of it as, oh, Virginia was a southern state. Everyone in Virginia loved slavery and was, you know, supported the South, right? And the Confederate cause. Very Obviously, simple. that wasn't true. That Yes. But that that idea, that mentality is completely false. And we see again and again that communities were divided and families were divided. And that's what we see in in this case. To that point, it's hard to imagine the atmosphere and the complications of slavery, right? Oh, yeah, it is. Like, we just had a conversation before we hopped on that Robert E. Lee, that he was like, I will follow what Virginia does. And Stonewall himself said, I'm a unionist, but if Virginia leaves, I'm going with her. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't like, in my mind, it's so bizarre to think of like the question of slavery in their minds wasn't a thing. Like they weren't fighting for or against enslaving people, like hot take, that's wrong. You know what I mean? Like it seems so simple to us. Exactly. But it wasn't simple. It was a question for a lot of them of loyalty. To whom are you loyal? Mm -hmm. Right? And for Stonewall Jackson or, or Thomas Jackson, he was loyal to Virginia first. And if Virginia seceded, which it would in Mm -hmm. 1860. Spoiler. Then he would secede and and fight for the Confederacy. Whether or not he was a unionist was second. But as we shall see, Laura was very different. She stood out in her community of Beverly. People were taking notice. Go on. Tell me everything. Well, in Beverly, where she and her husband and her children lived, there was no Republican support. In fact, Abraham Lincoln didn't receive a single vote in the county. And it wasn't because a mule was eating the votes. (laughs) That's a joke from a throwback episode. Few people are going to get it. Print Matthews. Check us out. (laughs) Oh, And it would turn out that Beverly would just be like five miles from a battle. 
the Battle of Rich Mountain. And so in July of 1861, pretty much the Union Army would be at the doorstep of Laura Jackson, right? Of her house, Mm -hmm. of her home, of her community. And the troops would pretty much establish control over the entire area. So that's awkward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's awkward for the town because they are literally occupied by Union forces at this point. Right. And of course, many of the residents being in the South would side with the Confederacy. And those who did, many of them left. And so who's left? Well, Laura Jackson and her family were left. Well, they had a lot of commercial enterprises in town. So it would be really hard for any of the Arnolds to get up and leave. Right. Right. Now, let's talk about her husband. Because at this time, of course, women couldn't vote. So they were really at the forefront of politics, right? Right. I mean, they obviously, many of them would have opinions, but they didn't have any power. They would be having tea while the men smoked cigars and drank brandy talking about their political views. They wouldn't have any direct political power. Mr. Arnold, Laura's husband, was a Whig, W-H-I-G. He was part of the Whig Party. I looked this up because I always forget what was the Whig Party. And long story short, the Whig Party was created in the 1830s, and it didn't have a strong stance on slavery. So by the time the 1860s rolled around, the Whig Party died out because all of the people who had been part of the Whig Party were now taking sides on the issue of slavery. And so they jumped ship and joined another political party. John Quincy Adams was a Whig. So was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't it fascinating? That so, really so is that's, fascinating. So it died. So the Whig party died. But Jonathan had been a Whig, but came to be a Southern sympathizer when shit hit the fan. Specifically, he was like, nope, he went too far. He did not agree with the policies of the Lincoln administration and was a supporter of coming to peace with the Confederate South. Like, Mm -hmm. end hostilities, make it a peace agreement, and let's move forward. Laura had a different view. What was Laura's views? Well, Laura remained an outspoken unionist. She did Mm -hmm. not believe in secession and was very pro-North. How did that look? That must have been really awkward because the people who are in Beverly now are pro-Southern, except for the soldiers who are occupying, which, of course, they would be pro-Union. And then you have her household. Her husband is pro-Southern and she's taking in union officers, right? And like attending to them and opening her house to the union. Is that what's happening? Women during the time, like you said, not only didn't have a voice politically, so that made them not pay attention, right? They were kind of like just observers of what the men were doing. You imagine some of them would be like that, but others wouldn't. But continue. But this is a complete, like, full on, like, this woman's going hard on the fact that she really is into the union. Like, and that that's just my point. Because most women would be like, whatever, the men are doing what the men do. And she was like, oh, no. And she was yeah. doing things to support yeah. the union cause. So... Yeah, she was. It's so much so that there was an article written about her in September of 1861 in Ohio. Ohio is, of course, a northern state. And I'm going to read this quote. 
almost alone amidst a disloyal community, she unflinchingly declared her devotion to the flag, not only by word, but mm-hmm. act. And then in Indiana, a paper wrote about her a year later in October of 1862 that though she married a wealthy citizen of Beverly, she had the reputation of being a woman of rare excellence, charitable, kind and loyal, and devotes a great deal of her money, time and labor to the comfort of our sick and wounded soldiers in the hospital in Beverly. Her devotion to the cause of our government is perhaps as great as her brother's hostility. And of course, when they're saying our government, they're talking about the government of the United States, not the Confederate government. Right. In stark contrast to her brother, who is a general in the Confederate Army. A crazy general legend in his own time who freaks. Yes. Yes. Freaks out Union armies when they're like, oh, yeah, Stonewall is going to be there. They're like, nope. Right. Jill, can you tell me what was their relationship like? Were they still close during the war? It was like non-existing. Throughout their entire lives, there's there are notes back and forth between Thomas and Laura. But after the war started, there was no communication with them. And she had little communication with his wife, Anna. But it was suspected that that she did not did not talk to Thomas at all during that time. I also want to make note that, yes, she tended to the sick and wounded of the Union Army. She also tended to Confederate soldiers as well. Right. She wouldn't leave a man to die. Absolutely. So she opened her home to both. Jill. What? Jill. Can you imagine her house for a second? Like, did they did they put like the northern soldiers in one room and the southerners in a different room? They had like little plastic gates, like the way I separated Pip and Sonny when he first got here. <laughs> did they separate the soldiers like your cats? Like, they just let them look at each other and smell. Just let them look at each other and smell before we let them mingle. <laughs> Give him his butt. Give him his butt. It's going to take about six months. Seriously. Can you imagine? Do you think they separated him or were they just all like intermingling? I believe because they opened up the house, like her family home to become the Beverly Hospital. There there had to be like people in need everywhere. And how to be like, wait a second, what color coat is that? Like that wouldn't have been a priority. But yeah, they probably weren't trying to organize can it. Can you imagine for a second if my husband think of chad think of i took chad's uh-huh. money and chad's house and uh-huh. opened it up against <laughs> for something that he was strongly opposed to the amount of shit yeah. my husband would give me think about their marriage that's a really good point yeah that would be that would cause some conflict in the household i imagine so <laughs> seriously I, I I mean, you you would have to get a divorce. I mean, that would not work. In the 18, like the 1800s, can you even think of divorce? I mean, like today it's on the top of my lips every time. I'm like, you will make me that bread. <laughs> divorce. <laughs> but like right, the 1800s. Hold on. It's funny that we're at the time people were contemplating the same question that we're asking now about their marriage. 
because she was so shut up because she was so openly unionist and her husband was so openly a southern sympathizer in may of 1863 there was a local attorney who wrote that mrs j arnold sister of general jackson went off with the yankees arnold stayed at home says he is a good southern man that his wife is crazy but hell he says could not govern a jackson Wow. I love it gives me goosebumps. I love everything about that. What does he mean when he said that she ran off with the Yankees? Did she run off with the Yankees? Did she leave her home in Beverly? I didn't read that. No, he's I think he means it like metaphorically, like she's off with the Yankees. Yeah. I love how he's like, hell, you try to control her. You know what I mean? No kidding. Yeah. He's like, hell couldn't govern a Jackson. I love that. That makes me happy. Fantastic. And that's our husband saying that. I know. He must have been so upset. His wife is crazy. That that I take issue with, but we'll get back to that. I mean, this is a guy this is a guy being like, Hey man, you know that thing you don't like? Your wife is spending a lot of your money and time to like do the thing you don't like. So what is he gonna say? <laughs> That's normal. So in 1863, there is a significant event that occurs that affects not only Laura's family, but the entire Confederacy. Tell me what happens. During the Battle of Chancellorsville at Spotsylvania County in Virginia, Stonewall Jackson and his staff were returning to their camp on May 2nd. The infantry mistook his group for a Union force, so they thought they were the enemy. There were shouts. They were like, halt, who goes there? But then they fire before there's an answer. Jackson's brigade's like, dude, it's Jackson's brigade. Calm down. Right, and then right, this right. guy, Major John D. Barry, was like, I, they're lying. They're trickers. Shoot them. And then like they shoot a bunch of them again. So they didn't believe them. They didn't believe them when they said that they were Stonewall Jackson's brigade. I don't know who Major John D. Barry is, Ooh. but my God, what a fuck up. <laughs> like, like, wow. That That's up there in like history, right? And like the top 10 fuck ups, at least in the United States, in United States history. Like, that's your job. Like, wow. Not to shoot at your men. Like, not, no, you don't do that. I wonder if Major John D. Barry, if he ever lived that down. What do you say? Oh, my bad, dude. (laughs) I didn't recognize you. Another thing about Stonewall Jackson that we were talking about is he was kind of eccentric and a little bit on the crazy side himself. So he used to ride around with his arm up in the air. That's true. Did he think that like someone in the Union side was riding around with one arm up in the air? You know what I mean? They're like, oh, you're tricking us. Like, what? 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 So long story short, Stonewall Jackson was hit by three bullets, two in his arm, and uh, his arm had to be amputated. When Robert E. Lee heard, he said, Jackson, you lost your left arm, but I have lost my right. Because Jackson was Robert E. Lee's right hand man. Yeah. Poetic. And he would end up dying eight days after he was shot from pneumonia. Several of his men and many of their horses were killed in the attack, which literally was them just coming home. Just friendly fire coming back to camp. So we we lose Stonewall Jackson, one of the greatest military commanders in the history of the United States. And Laura Jackson Arnold would lose her brother, her only surviving family from her childhood. Right. Apparently, their close relationship had been destroyed during the war and was never repaired. Mm. Jill, how did she take hearing about her brother's death? Is there any documentation about what she said? 
According to WestVirginiaEncyclopedia.org, Laura reportedly was saddened, yet she said, would rather know that he was dead than to have him a leader in the rebel army. Oh. You know, if you, I found out you died, I wouldn't be, like, I hope someone would be like, oh, she's saddened. I think they would be like, she's hysterical. Like, think about it. Like, she's saddened. But do people back yeah. then have more, like, decorum than I do? Or, like, people now? Never mind. Well, then. I don't think you have any decorum. So. Okay, that makes sense. But other, like, I would be crying, like, hysterical. I mean, yeah. she was probably trying to keep it together, you know? Mm. That he would was rather dead because he was he was the enemy. He but he was, was also the her enemy. brother. I know it's complicated. It is complicated. Eighteen sixty three was a really hard year in poor little Miss Laura Jackson Arnold's life. It was because not only did her brother die in May, but in October she was having some marital difficulties, and it was they were coming to a head. You said now think about this, Laura Jackson. Arnold's brother, who was the symbol of the Confederate cause, has now died. Yes. And so the whole Confederacy is sad and feels yes. defeated because some dumb fuck shot him as he came back. John to- D. Berry. Shame on you, John D. Berry. That is a big mess up. Okay, anyway. So the Confederacy is sad by this. And that's her husband's side. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. So yeah. he's... Like And she's still doing things to support the union. Interesting to think that they're both mourning his death, but in, for different reasons. Mm. Oh, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And I would assume if I were Laura Jackson's husband, I wouldn't like I wouldn't want word to get out that I was mistreating or not taking care of Laura Jackson because her brother is like a badass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, like and, the badass. Yeah, yeah, the badass. So, yeah. so they have a fight. They have a big fight in October of 1863. Jonathan, Laura's husband, uh, locked a storehouse and refused to turn the key over. Laura went to his bedroom and questioned him. Hey, where's the key to the storehouse? I could see that happening. Mm -hmm. Their daughter, Grace, overheard Jonathan, quote, cursing very hard, followed by a noise that sounded like Laura falling. Mm -mm -mm. Then Jonathan threatened to blow Laura's brains out. So it sounds a lot like he hit her and was threatening to shoot her. Now, again, I don't know in a marriage. A marriage is unique. Things happen in marriages. But that is like, wow, that's dialed up to an 11. And like I said, before Stonewall Jackson died, I am assuming he was pretty good because he was letting her do pretty much anything and was like, hell can't control a Jackson. Now he's gone. And now he's slapping her and threatening to blow her brains out near their children's earshot. Historians looking back think that another source of stress on the relationship were all of the borders that she invited in. Apparently, there are a lot of soldiers wandering around the house. And apparently, she also attracted a lot of visitors because she was the sister of the famous Stonewall Jackson. So she was somewhat of a celebrity amongst the enemy Mm -hmm. who were occupying not only her town, but her house. That's crazy. Yeah, I could see how he'd be pissed off, but you don't hit a woman and you certainly don't threatened to blow her brains out now let's go back to that imagery because before we were talking about her house as being a hospital now it's a boarding house so now you may have southerners and northerners in different rooms maybe sharing a cigar right 
Because right. both of them, the unionists want to see her because she's a great union supporter. And then the Confederates want to see her because she's Stonewall's sister. It certainly appears to be that way. Now, a week after this incident where he assaults her and threatens her, he happens to be arrested by Union soldiers. Because he's a wife-beating bastard? No, because he was trying to leave town without a pass. But he doesn't believe that's why he was arrested. So what happened? So he's arrested because he's trying to leave town. Mm -hmm. He was ordered to go to a prison camp and he was charged with, quote, disloyalty. To the union. Yeah. 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 Their friends pretty much thought, oh, this is a frivolous charge. And they paroled him. So they got him out. He was, though, required to stay away from home. He was required to stay in Clarksburg, and he was not allowed to return home until late in 1864. So they were essentially separated. For about a year. Mm -hmm. Jonathan blamed Laura for the entire thing. Of course he did. They had a scandalous divorce in 1870, which was initiated by Jonathan, although this is contested by historians. This divorce played out in public like dirty. Oh. Yes. Yes. I could see how like People Magazine would run this. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I just think Amanda Heard and Johnny Depp still just like publicly shaming and embarrassing one another to all it's worth. Oh, yeah. It was a lengthy case. He claimed that Laura was unfaithful by having affairs with the soldiers that stayed in his home. Okay, you know what? I think that that's just dirty, dirty, dirty. That did not happen. A hundred percent. I know Laura. That didn't happen. And he's just trying to paint her, paint a picture for the public that she's a whore. You know, which is unnecessary because anyone. Completely unnecessary. Unnecessary. Because everyone can be like, he can be like, she's taking my money and spending it on things that I do not approve of. You know what I mean? That would be ground. Like your wife has gone run amok in 1800s American society. Men could have had women put in insane asylums for less. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hell, in 1960s American societies, men can have their wives put in a Salem Salem's for less. Ultimately, the judge ruled in Laura's favor and awarded her $400 per year support. And afterwards, she moved afterwards, she moved to Buchanan, West Virginia, and Jonathan stayed in Beverly until his death. Mm. So let's talk about Laura and her later years. She's finally away from that jerk of a husband. He is a jerk of a husband. She was in Buckhannon. Her house in Buckhannon apparently burned down and then she moved to Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. With one of her sons, I think. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. She was interviewed late in life and she said, my nervous system was broken down by my experiences in the war and I have been an invalid ever since. Aw. What do you think she meant by that? Because an invalid, I would think is a physical issue. When she was in Columbus, Ohio, she stayed at a sanitarium, Shepherd Sanitarium, oh. as a watering cure facility. So I don't know what she was looking to cure. But there was definitely, she seen herself as she had some type of ailment. And the reason why I bring this up is because when you look up Stonewall Jackson, people, historians refer to him as an, an eccentric person. Like Absolutely. he has these weird oddities, like the hand in the air is because right. he was a hypochondriac and he believed that it would help the blood run to one part of his body that needed it. Interesting. So historians look at the question of Laura's mental health. 
because they because they thought Stonewall was kind of crazy too. You know, like those crazy geniuses. Yes, I see that. But also, I think she refers to her nervous system breaking down. And to me, that also is more an emotional disorder mm. as opposed to a physical disorder. Was there any other indication that she may not have been in the best mental health? Good question. So historians look at some of her letters Mm -hmm. and sometimes her writing is clear and lucid. But Mm -hmm. other times it's rambling. It's missing words. There's a lot of errors. That's like every outline I write. You know what I mean? Like, come on, guys, let's be fair. I am reading this quote and I wonder if I should read it haunting document in Laura's handwriting entitled Brother Tom's Death was written in 1890. This was like her own, when they say her writings, this was like her diary. She wrote a diary entry that people are looking at. Oh, wow. So So she didn't write this for an audience. She was just writing her thoughts. And of course, Brother Tom's death, she's referring to Stonewall Jackson's death. When you're Laura Jackson, you don't call your brother Stonewall. You're like Tom. That's Brother Tom. That's very, very true. And it was written when she was an older lady. So this is after 1890. And it said, for weeks, I was inconsolable. Finally, I retired to a vacant room at night, looking up to our father, pouring out my bleeding heart to him. He answered my cry and sending my dear brother to me. He was robed in white with an ineligible word resembling gold falling from his waistline down. Every night he came to me in that room for quite a while until my mind was at perfect peace. I did rejoice that he was with me and no longer in the conflict of the cruel war. Wow. Okay. Did she just say that every night she would ask her dead father to bring her dead brother to her and then her dead brother would appear in white garb and she was at peace? Is that what I just said? Is that what I just read? Okay, so it is what you just read, but (laughs) when she says our father, I thought she meant like our father who art in heaven. I mean, okay. It's not capitalized, but okay. No, but that's what I thought. It wasn't, the quote wasn't capitalized. Pouring out my bleeding heart to him. Yeah, I'm not sure if she meant her father or, or God. Capital F, father. Again, but reading this back, again, historians are kind of dicks for this. You're taking this woman's personal writings. Yeah. yeah. And being like, oh, look, she was crazy. Right. And and to your point, referring to it as an uncapital F, because just like you said, is she pouring her heart out to their dead father that she yes. never met being like, bring, like, that does yes. sound crazy. It, right? it kind of does. Yeah. And there's also an illegible word in there. And they already said that her writings were like not, they're full of errors. So who knows what she really meant? You and I are talking and I've said about 20,000 illegible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So. Wow. Illegible words. Mm-hmm. What do you think this means? Let's come back to that at the end. Okay. In the decades following the Civil War, she was honored She was honored, and that makes me happy. That makes me happy, too. In 1897, she was named an honorary member of the Society of the Army of West Virginia. Mm. At a 1905 reunion of the 5th West Virginia Cavalry, she was proclaimed, quote, the mother of the regiment. I love it. There also stands a historical marker for for her that was erected near Beverly in 2018, I believe. Oh, oh, good for her. Mm -hmm. So more people are knowing about her. 
good. But not enough. Not enough. Laura's 83rd birthday in 1909 was reported in the newspapers. And she celebrated by taking a mile walk and receiving friends. Mm. Hell, if I'm able to walk a mile when I'm 83, I will be in good shape. She told some interesting recollections of her noted brother. The quote goes on to say, he was a studious child and serious, conscientious and religious as a man. I'm sure that if he had lived, he would have succeeded in whatever he undertook. Ah, so even as an old lady... She remembers him fondly, and it's obvious that she still loved him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in 1910, just a year later, Laura stated that she believed that her days would be few, and she asked to be taken back to the home of her girlhood to die and be buried. Mm -hmm. That was near Clarksburg. Laura Jackson Arnold did die on September 24th, 1911 at the home of her daughter-in-law and was buried in Hevener Cemetery in Buchanan, West Virginia. Oh, see? and here you go. 19 and in 2018, just a few years ago, a state historical marker was unveiled outside Laura and Jonathan's home in Beverly commemorating Laura's contributions during the Civil War. Wow. Wow. What a woman. What a woman. So why do you think she came through to us? Well, I'll tell you this. I know she was coming through to us because of some of the hits we were getting. Absolutely. So let's, do you want to talk about some of the hits? Because this is absolutely insane. Yeah. So not only were we driving around her old stomping grounds being like, well, that's family. Wait a second. We're looking for our maiden name. Not only that, but... You were feeling that soldier energy that wasn't wearing quite the right uniform. Stonewall Jackson never wore a uniform in battle at first. He was wearing his West Point uniform. Now, that is crazy interesting. It is. It's like it was a different color. It was not a Confederate uniform. You know, when we did the West Union episode and I was getting that infirmity and Jaco had lost an arm. Stonewall <gasps> Jackson lost an arm, too. Didn't even put that together. Oh, I know. I'm getting MG. chills right now. Someone just turned on a light. La- like, my favorite. Say it, Jennifer. Remember when we were driving around West Union? Do you remember what day it was? March 27th, which was the anniversary of the fire of West Union. Exactly. So we're like, oh, March 27th is a big deal. Yes. You know what else was March 27th? What else? Laura oh. Jackson. Yes. yes. She was born on March 27th. Her birthday. 1826. I mean, there you go. You don't need a stronger breadcrumb to be like, uh, talk about me, girls. I know. Especially the woman vibe. You're like, we are so frustrated. Women don't have a voice. I'm like, calm down. Totally. Totally. So why do you think she's coming through to us? What What do you think she's saying or wants us to talk about? I think I feel her as part of the sisterhood that came through in West Virginia. Mm, yes. But Jill, I also wonder if she had psychic abilities. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I actually do. Because I feel I always talk to you and our clients about creating space for your loved ones so you can have closure. And I really believe that Laura going in into the vacant room to call upon either her father or our father. Yeah. God was creating space for her to connect in spirit with Thomas. I believe that myself. I really do. And he loved her so much. He delivered in a big way. Every night he met with her, 
Yeah. For quite a while until her mind was at a perfect peace. That's really sweet. That's beautiful is what that is. You know what that reminds me of? What? We're, um, and again, shameless Patreon plug, but one of our Patreon episodes coming up is about Michelle and her experience with grandma. And she stayed with, grandma stayed with her until her mind was at a perfect peace. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what that reminds me of when you said it. I want to end here. I don't want to talk about like politics again and all that BS. Let's just end here. What a beautiful example Laura Jackson Arnold was. Not only to staying true to what you believe in, but also being someone who takes her grief and instead of letting it destroy her, she reaches out to spirit and has these beautiful moments of communion with somebody that she loved. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. You hear about the Civil War as brother against brother, but this the Civil War created divisions between brother against sister. That Absolutely. she was ultimately in her lifetime able to reconnect with him and heal, which is beautiful. I love it. I love it too. So usually I say, tell the people where they can find us. But this time I want to say, Jillis, tell the people about our Patreon. Oh my gosh, you guys. So let me just let you know, we really love doing this podcast for you guys. It is fun. I get to bond with my sister and I love connecting with all of you listening. Don't you? (laughs) I do. Keep going. Yes. So, but the thing is, is that we spend a lot of money and resources on this podcast. Well, that is true. But what we're trying to say is we want it to be sustainable and currently it's not sustainable. We want to keep doing it for you. And uh, we would love for you to help us to make this a thing. Right. We provide this show to you at no cost. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us, please consider being a Patreon of our Patreon page. You can contribute $3 a month at our lowest tier just to support us. If you contribute at our second tier at $5 a month, you'll receive Detours episodes where we talk about our experiences and our thoughts related to our free episodes. At $10 a month, you'll get that plus an extra longer bonus episode And finally, at our top tier at $25 a month, you can choose to join us once a month for an hour-long Ask Us Anything Zoom. And you get access to our Facebook page where we are dropping information on helping some of our mystics out there develop their own mystical side. So it's like a mystical mentorship on the side. Ooh, I like mystical mentorships. Mm-hmm. Right now, Ryan is our only mystical mentor at I $25 Ryan. pledge. I know, Ryan's wonderful. But so thank you guys so much for listening. You can check us out at commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Common Mystics Pod. Oh, yes. And if you happen to be on Apple, please leave us a positive review so other people can find us. I just want to say one more thing. Some of the bonus content that we did, I forgot to mention, we have a a Jessica, Elvis is our daddy bonus. And we also have <laughs> one of our daddies. <laughs> one of our daddies. And then the other extra bonus was that hotly contested episode that Jennifer and I had that we had like an epic meltdown fight over the Mormons. The Mormons almost ended our pod. The Mormons was our civil war. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Good night. Good night.